means all. <laughs> and that's all you can say about that. Amen? Uh, we have uh, begun a sermon series journeying through um, four of the core principles, uh, DNA strands uh, that we have put here in our mission statement. Uh, we talked in our first two weeks about equipping, um, equipping not all members, but every member. It's individualized. It's uh, particular to each and every one of you. And Pastor Larry last week uh, got us started with service. So I will be doing the second sermon on serving in ministry. You know, it's quite interesting when I hear that word uh, serve, uh, the millennial in me, and I, and I might as well get the elephant out of the room for the, for the other millennials here. Any millennials here? All right. It may not be true for, for Gen Zers or, or Gen Xers of the greatest generation, okay? Uh, but for millennials, you might think back to, to the 2004 film, You Got Served. All right. Uh, some of y'all are like, what is he talking about? Well, uh, there was a cultural phenomenon uh, about uh, 18 years ago uh, that uh, then went on to become three movies, cult classics, okay? And it, and, it, and it talked about how there were these rival dancing groups, okay? And it, and it was kind of one of the first forays of break dancing into the mainstream of America to major motion pictures and kind of like the other... Uh, teenage coming of age films of its time bring it on and uh, it, it served in that same vein but the, 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 the titular line okay that came out of that movie was just a simple phrase you got served and, and, and what it was communicating is that despite uh, 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 the fact that these uh, rival dance groups were performing and competing against one another, at the end of the day, somebody was going to win that competition. And so the, the, the group that won, the, the, the person says, that the lead dancer says to the rival group, you got served. In other words, my, my performance has dominated yours. I came out on top. Now, to me, that, that doesn't sound... Like biblical service, amen? Uh, you got served is not necessarily the, the type of service that, uh, that God is eliciting from each and every one of us here today, is it? But, but I do think that it communicates a, a certain idea in our culture that uh, we don't serve one to another. We don't serve to God, but we do serve ourselves. We do serve our goals. And sometimes that may happen to include other folks within our groups who are helping us to accomplish the goal that we have set out for. But true service is at the cost of one's self. Amen? How many of you agree with that today? That, that, that service is not predicated, is not based at least biblical service on what can be done for you. But it's based and rooted in how can you serve, how can you help, how can you love someone else. 
Um, so in case you missed it last week, uh, you, you missed the, an unveiling of a new word into Merriam-Webster's dictionary uh, brought to you by Pastor Larry called wireation. He, Pastor Larry said, you are wirated. In other words, you are particularly composed. Each one of us has a, a DNA, has, has a genetic makeup in which uh, service work has been grafted into who we are. That service is not something we simply do, not human doings, but human beings. Anybody with me this morning? Uh, that uh, he, he, he communicated uh, and he harkened back to Joshua, choose ye this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, okay? That, that's communicating to you and I a choice that Joshua and his family are making to serve the Lord. What's your choice? What gods are you serving? Have you chosen to, to, to serve the God of the Bible, the God of the universe? And if you've made that choice, there's something perhaps beyond the, the, the ethereal, the theoretical, I know what choice I have to make. It's been communicated to me. I think I have an academic grasp. I've read the Bible. I understand the choices that God is asking me to make. I have all that down. But there's something beyond just choice. Because guess what? Human will is not something that you and I might consider strong. We often give over to our temptations, often give over to our impulsive desires and the things that are not of God. So it's not simply a choice, a theoretical choice that will take hold of us. But deeper than that, it's choice and commitment to that choice. It's not just will you choose to serve God, but also what's communicated in that idea is are you committed to that service as well? It's interesting, this idea about serving. I think what God wants to tell us today here at New Life Church is simply this, that we can be committed to serving God. Because Jesus was committed to serving. Can you take a, a stand on your feet? Can you rest on your feet? And we'll read together Mark chapter 10. Jesus called them together. I'm sorry. Let's uh, read. One, two, three. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the exiles lorded over them. And their officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got served. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you got served. Amen, amen. Let's pray.
Our God and our Father, we love you. We bless you. We're grateful, Lord, for your presence here among us today. God, I don't know uh, if people know it, but you are here. Uh, you are here because your people have gathered in your name. And your scripture says where two or three are gathered in my name, there you are in the midst. So, Lord, we welcome you. And thank you, Lord, for welcoming us. And we pray, Father God, as we look and meditate on the things that you've said in your word about service. I pray, Lord, Father God, that our hearts would be moved to make a deeper commitment to you and to service of the ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's interesting that uh, you saw in that scripture... The two terms often are interchangeable, servant and slave. And contextually, we know that slave, in some modern translations, it also may uh, say sometimes bond servant. Uh, we know those terms are not synonymous necessarily with uh, the new world order of slavery that happened in the 17th, 18th, 19th century. Although uh, it could have communicated, or in actuality, there were abuses of power between master and servant or slave. Uh, but here's what servant or slave typically means in the Bible. It's, it's someone who is employed by or in some way bound to serve and perform duties for another person. That's just in general. What are some of the ways that people have served? Well, Jacob worked for Laban seven years for each of his wives, 14 altogether. Amen. How many of y'all would work 14 years for two wives? Amen. <laughs> Service could be slave uh, labor, could be farm work, could be daily lab labor on the job. It could be service of earthly kingdoms. Service can be worship. Service can be done to the men and women of God or service of God. Who served? When we look at Abraham, when we look at Isaac, when we look at Jacob, the patriarchs, the patriarchs, they were called servants of God. Moses and the prophets, also servants of God. Kings, leaders, priests, Levites. Just about anyone who was called into a position or title inside the kingdom of God, what was also synonymous with their title or position was the fact that they were a servant of the Lord. What does it mean? It means that service at its best is when it's grounded in the worship of God. So this kind of worship involves worshipful actions, gathering together, worshiping the Lord together, singing songs and, and, and spiritual songs, bringing offerings. It includes the priestly work, not only of pastors, but you at home, how you go before the Lord for your children or your parents. This is service within the church, how we serve one another by bringing meals to those who've just had babies. Amen. By serving communion to those who are sick and shut in. 
These are the types of service services within the kingdom of God. While a lot of that is about the Old Testament, the New Testament also speaks similarly of, of service, right? A sacrificial living. Slave labor done for Christ's sake. Offerings as well. Personal ministry. These things are not just found in one piece of the scripture or another, but throughout all of scripture is a thread that each person who has committed themselves to the Lord serves the Lord in a particular way. And servanthood, let's, let's, let's not get that into one particular uh, uh, thought or, 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 or think that it's limited to forced labor. That in the New Testament, when it talks about being a servant or a bond servant or a slave, it could very well mean doctors, teachers, writers, accountants, agents, bailiffs, overseers, secretaries, sea captains. All these comprised what would be considered the slave population. Here's one of the main ways slaves were different in this way is that a slave at this time was not to be assigned a specific, especially low class in life. In fact, uh, uh, many slaves, bond servants, servants mentioned in the New Testament, uh, the Greco-Roman era would have it that many of these people would be free or would have worked for freedom by the age of 30. That it was meant to be a bondservant that you would work towards your freedom. That the status you had was not constitutionally set. It wasn't written in the law of the land, but your status as a servant was directly tied not to the law, but to who your master is. That, that, that your class as a servant was, was dependent on the power, the influence, and the strength of who your master was. How many of you know today that, that, that God is calling us to be his servants? And, and he's calling us to be his servants, not so much that, that we can be his lackeys. No, but he's calling us to be his servants because why? Because he's the good master. And because he knows that at his disposal are immune or immutable resources, unlimited resources, wealth, unlimited uh, 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 provision in his tent. That if you would come up under, you would have access to all of that. And isn't that the thing nowadays that we struggle to come up under to be subordinated to God? Because our culture tells us to be subordinated to no one. And it's not just about women being a submissive. Amen. Uh, we need to submit to one another. Amen. That's what the scripture calls us to do. And, and in that submission to one another, we are practicing our submission to God. But here's the thing is that we find it so hard. Why do we find it so hard to bend our will to that of our good master? Could it be because we want to be the master of our own lives? Could it be because we want to be in charge? We want to direct the ship. We want to direct our own destiny. 
What God tells us through his scriptures is that since he is the good master, he has much more uh, knowledge, much more resources resources than we can possibly imagine. Why would you want to direct your own destiny based on your limited insights? So today, today, thank you, Pastor Larry. Today, we're going to, we're going to dip in a, a little bit more nuanced. And we're going to look at what might be some of the things that are creating barriers for service. And this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. In other words, I'm not giving the five key things, okay? There might be 20 more. And also, one of these things may not hit on you, but, but I want you to rest on this question for today. What are the things that are barring you from committed service to the Lord? Not just choice. Because you made a choice a long time ago to follow the Lord. But for some of you, your commitment is waning. Why? What's happened? Where are you at? And this word may not be for everybody in here as, as a prescription. For some of you, it may be a warning. But for some of you, it's going to call you out of a position of observation into a position of action. So let's uh, look at what some of these barriers might be a barrier one might experience towards being committed to the service of the Lord is delay. Delay. Because your dream has been delayed. Because things have not happened in the time in which you expected it, you have somehow justified that I can sit back and take my foot off the pedal. Why don't you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. And in verse 22, it reads like this. It says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, meaning Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was, what's that word? Waiting for the consolation or the, or the redemption of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praise God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Let's keep reading verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to, call, 
cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. What Anna and what Simeon represent is endurance in the face of delay. That sometimes your commitment may wane, but your endurance through the time that's passing allows for the glory of God to then be shown in your life. If Simeon had given up during the years in which he was waiting, if Anna had given up in the years through which that she was waiting, 84 years she had lived and waited to see the redemption of Israel. But guess what? Because she kept coming to church, because she kept coming to the temple, because she kept fasting and praying, because she kept serving those around her, because she stayed in the face and at the lap of the Lord, she was rewarded. Delay can tempt us to pull back in our commitment to serve. Shame. Shame. Think about Gideon. Found on the threshing floor in the wine press. Story's gotten a bad rap sometimes. It's like he's hiding. But he's not really hiding. He's actually in the very place that he thinks he should be serving his country, serving his nation. He's protecting the grain that they have left. The amazing thing, though, is that God is not calling him to protect the wheat in the wine press. God was calling him to lead his nation towards salvation. Sometimes shame, and, and, he, and he says this, the, uh, the, let's look, Judges, uh, Judges chapter 6, 14 and 15, I'll just read it to you real quick. It says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? He replies, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. In what way do you think that you're the least? Not in a, in a, in a pious sense where you have, have taken on a position of humility, but in, in, in what way do you consider yourself to be small? And in what way have you allowed your consideration of that smallness to, to rob you of what the calling that God has put on your life? God says, I have more capacity for you. 
I have more room for you to work. I have a greater calling for you, Gideon. But God accommodates his apprehension. You know, it's, it's interesting what, what he's displaying here. Some might call it an, an inferiority complex that you just naturally feel like based on your, your, your upbringing or where you come from or the mistakes that you've made, that, that, that somehow you've been disqualified from a particular line of service. Sometimes you're already operating in your gift and you're suffering what, from, from what some might call an imposter syndrome. God has already proven to you just how gifted you are. He already has you walking in your calling, but, but for some reason you get these negative thoughts that say, you're a fraud. You're an imposter. Can I tell, can I tell y'all, as I was writing this sermon this week, I, I already in my mind understood I was coming here to, in, to imposter syndrome. But when I put my fingers to my keyboard, the theory that I was going to talk about to, to, to someone else that I was going to encourage started to seep down into my own heart and tempt me. That I'm an imposter, that I'm a fraud, that I'm a fraud. That the words that I would speak today would not be liberating and not be uh, a delivering for people. That God could not, would not use me today. But look at how God accommodates Gideon's apprehension in Judges 6, 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. At first he tells Gideon, go in all the strength you have. And then when Gideon uh, 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 is apprehensive and hesitates, he said, I will be with you. Don't you know that that's grace? There's grace to cover all that shame, okay? There's grace to cover all of that difference, okay? He says, go in the strength you have. And where the strength is not enough, I will make up for what you lack. I will bring the difference because I will be with you. Sometimes it's idols that create barriers to worship. You may, you may or may not know the story of the rich young ruler, the one who had followed all the Lord's commandments devoutly. Jesus says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he walked away saddened. Jesus comments later, he says, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Maybe idol worship, things, materialism, consumerism, statusism, Instagramism, TikTokism, Twitchisms, Snapchatisms. Or any other isms 
Are those things robbing you of your attention? Are they your greater master? Or do you serve the Lord? Sometimes it's delay. Sometimes it's shame. Could be idol worship. Could be pride. Could be pride looking at people in the Bible who who start off so devoutly, so fervently, so passionately looking at King Saul and how he loved the Lord. But one choice made, made a cascade of different choices that led him away from his commitment to the Lord. Could be his grandson Solomon. So devout, ask the Lord, Lord, ask me anything. Lord, I want wisdom. Wanted to be closer to the Lord. But over time, that commitment waned due to one choice, and another choice, and another choice to marry another woman, to make peace with another nation by marrying another wife. Bringing slaves into slave labor to build the temple. Sometimes we begin to smell ourselves. We look at all of our accolades. What are those accolades for you? Is it your job? Your education? Your children? what they will or might accomplish? Your church. Your own personal ideology. You have to watch out for that thing, pride. Pride drives us away from community because we develop an inflated opinion of our own character. And it's easy to think we're being kind to people when we're not being held accountable to others. We think we're right because no one disagrees with us. Or we can't hear the disagreement. It's in relationships where our true selves are revealed. Some of y'all who are married know that. (laughs) Some things you've done in marriage, you never thought you might do. But there are some flaws that rose up to the surface, amen? Some evil in your heart that's gotten exposed because it's in the intimacy of relationships that our true selves are revealed. Maybe pride, maybe delay, maybe out of worship, maybe shame. Sometimes it's people. People in the church keeping me from serving. If only these people were more righteous. If only these people were were more holy. If only these people had themselves together a little bit more. 
If only these people, these people, those people, those people. See how divisive that can be. It's actually tiring. It's tiring going through that over and over again, thinking how you're better than people. Thinking how your way of doing Christianity, your idea is better. And it doesn't just happen in the white church or in the black church. Doesn't It's not singular to the struggles that we have in the multi-ethnic church. No, it's just you. <laughs> Individual, you. Me. In us is a heart of deceit. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we're better. And it creates divisions and categories for, just think about it right now. If you thought about all the different groups of people sitting here in this service today, we probably have them all mapped out in certain regions and categories. Who we prefer. Who, who we're okay with. Who are not comfortable with serving? Who are not comfortable being in the same room with? Who's rubbed us the wrong way? All these things are hindrances to serving one another and the people and the household of God. Our first couple of sermons detailed it in the key verse, Ephesians 4, to equip his people. God has given us each one of us and each one of us has gifts that God has made sure to put into his church. He's given these gifts, verse 12 of chapter 4 says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, becoming mature is dependent upon our doing works of service amongst the community. That's what it said, to equip his people for works of service so that... Everything else comes after. Our service is a direct indicator of the reach of our potential as a church. Our arm for service determines what our potential is. You have a short reach we'll have short potential. When we reach long on service, we'll accomplish long on potential. The works of service are the indication of how far we will go as a community of believers. How we serve and love on one another. Some churches may get thousands of members. 
and become a mile wide but an inch deep. But our aim is to grow in balance. That people will come to know Jesus Christ. And that the people will be built up in him. We don't want shallow Christianity where people are coming with excitement and all joy and they wither away at the rising of the sun. But we want Christianity where the soul will take deep root of the word of God. And a lot of that is, of course, the proclamation of the word. But so much of it as well is the living out of the word. We can be committed to serve because Jesus was committed to serve. Our key verse when we began was Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to first, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Let me read that again. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And here's the thing. And give his life as a ransom for many. That's the level of commitment Jesus first makes a choice. He's, he's, he tells you what he has chosen to do, what he was sent to do, and what he has received, that he has come as a servant. And then he tells you what length he's willing to go to commit to that aim. Even my life I give as a ransom for many. Elsewhere in Luke 22, Jesus Read sim Jesus says similarly like, that, like this. Luke 22 and verse 26, he says, But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? So Jesus acknowledges the cultural understanding. Who is the greatest? Isn't it the president of the United States? Isn't it the, the, the richest president? Isn't it Elon Musk? Isn't it Jeff Bezos? Aren't these the people who are the greatest? But I am among you as one who serves, he says. You are those who have stood by me in trials and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me so that you may eat and drink at my table and my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. (laughs) Jesus already knew that Peter's commitment was going to wane. Jesus already knew that Peter was going to fail. But Jesus prayed in advance for Peter. Jesus already knew that your commitment was going to wane. Jesus already knew that you were going to fall short. But Jesus has already gone before you praying for you that that devil uh, aims to sift you as weak brothers and sisters. But God has prayed for you that he has given you the strength that you need, that you can stay committed, committed to him, committed to his word and committed to his church. This is our God. Who not only calls us to serve. Look at your neighbor say, you got served. Remember what that means. Merely meant that someone else had the upper hand on you. Someone else beat you to the punch. You got served by Jesus. You got served by Jesus. And so the response to that isn't defeat. The response to that is that you go and do likewise, that you would serve. In the world with competition, we often suffer defeat and feel defeated. But in the church, we compete to spur one another on to good works. May you be encouraged today, brothers and sisters, that because Jesus remained committed to serving even unto his life, that you would go and do likewise. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone sitting here today that does not know you, the pardon of their sins, that they would invite you in. And that it doesn't just stay at this academic understanding of what you've done. But Lord, because you died for our sins, and because you raised from the grave, both the penalty and the power of sin is defeated. I pray that we will walk in that. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.